Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace this weekend. It's good to see you guys. Uh, we're in a series right now called It's a Match, uh, my so-called love life. And I uh, just want to let you know, mom and dad, up front, this is a PG-13 conversation. So if you have uh, children that are younger than junior high and old enough to do math, uh, you may want to think about introducing them to Power Kids, uh, and they will have a blast down there. Um, but if you're not worried about that, that's fine. But the awkward conversation on the minivan and the way home is on you, not on me, because I said something ahead of time, right? So uh, let's check that out. So welcome, welcome everybody out in the cafe, everybody watching online. And we are having a blast in this series. We're talking about dating. And we asked this question, with marriages kind of in a mess in our culture, we said, what if we got to marriage differently? Uh, when we look at how we find each other, which is what we call dating in our culture, right? We investigate each other, we set habits with each other, we decide and, and hope that we found the right person. 50% of marriages are end in divorce. Of the 50% that survive, how many are actually healthy, thriving, attractive? And we said that everybody who ever said I do thought they found the right person. Everybody that ever said I do thought they had hope in that situation, and they wanted what you wanted, they dream of what you dream of, and they dated the way that you are dating right now. So all of us who are single, what if we dated differently? What if instead of just dating for fun or dating for sex or dating for whatever, what if we deepened the dating question and we started to view every dating partner as a potential marriage partner would that cause us to kind of screen differently and ask different questions? What if instead of stumbling into a relationship and finding somebody, what if we actually plan that and work that process a little bit? What if we became the person that we were looking for? What if we elevated ourselves to those high qualities? Would we be in a stratosphere, so to say, of people who are also valued and love those same things could we meet and could we put down a different foundation for our relationships with each other? So we've been having this conversation for a while. If you want to catch up on it, it's out online, bath.graceohio.org. You can watch it there. You can listen to it there. You can get a podcast for free through iTunes. Uh, you can get it through the app. And if you give me 500 bucks, I'll show up in your living room and reteach the sermon to you. I'm just saying it's an option. You may want to use it. All right. So, but it's all out there. Grab that. Grab that information and those details. And uh, I think you'll find it helpful. So this is what we're doing. Last weekend, <clears throat> we were starting to put some skin on this whole idea. And we had a conversation that was geared specifically at single ladies. This weekend, we're flipping the coin and we're going to talk to single men. And last weekend, uh, we worked hard to try to kind of help ladies get inside the mind of a man. Just kind of understand the way that we think and what we do. Fellas, this weekend it's your turn. We're going we're to go and try to get inside the mind of a woman and see what a godly woman would be looking for in a godly man. Now, let me put a disclaimer on this, okay? So, uh, usually when we talk about speaking specifically to men, if you grew up in church, what goes through your mind is, oh, great, this is where I get, this is my chewed out weekend, right? This is where I get chewed out. We don't do that at Grace. I don't chew anybody out because I feel like we're all adults. We should be able to have an intelligent conversation. And um, I, we respect men. So this isn't like a beat up on men 
weekend. So fellas, those defenses, like you gotta lower them, okay? So we can actually hear each other. So hear what I'm saying, hear what God is saying, and don't receive that kind of through that grid. Just receive it. If it doesn't apply to you, push it off. If it does, pull it in deep and see if God can and do something with it, okay? Now here's the second disclaimer. Ladies, I'm gonna talk to the men like men, right? So in, in many ways, what we're doing here this weekend is, is we're inviting you into the locker room with us. And if you uh, ever saw me alone with a group of guys, this would be like the way and the what and the how I would talk to them. So for everybody in that locker room, uh, ladies, especially wives and moms, be very careful how you handle the information you're gonna pick up. Because this is the way that fellas work. If, if you take that information and you're like, see, Jeff told you and I've been telling you for years and that's the way it sounds to us, right? And so you, you don't want to pick up ammo for a fight. This is a glimpse inside the mind of a guy, okay? And I want you to understand it. I want you to, to embrace it and get a hold of it. But moms and wives, be careful that you kind of use that invitation in a, in a respectful way or it'll wind up backfiring on you, okay? So I'm just shooting straight with you, all right? So fellas, what do we need to be doing? Godly women are looking for what in godly men. Let's talk, guys, first broadly about what the scripture says about men. The Bible talks to men differently than it does to women. It does not elevate men over women. In fact, it would, do <clears throat> the, the, it would be the opposite. It actually would equalize all of that. But most certainly in the Bible, there's conversations that God kind of has with women and conversation that God has with men. And if I was gonna summarize the tone of how the Bible speaks to men and generalize what God was saying to men, I would say this, that men, we are entrusted by God to redeem, protect, and sacrifice for the people in our lives, all right? I want you to get those three words in your head. We're entrusted by God to redeem, protect, and sacrifice for our homes, for our relationships, friendships, uh, our sisters, our moms, and for society itself. And when men fail to redeem, protect, and sacrifice, they fail to communicate love to the women in their lives, right? And by the way, our homes will break down, our relationships will break down, and society itself will break down. Most of the ills in our society right now, many of them are tied directly to the fact that men have spurned their responsibility to redeem, to protect, and to sacrifice. Let me, let me just show you the stats. Here it is, ready? 90% of homeless and runaway children are from a fatherless home. 71% of pregnant teenagers are from a fatherless home. 63% of youth suicides are from a fatherless home. 85% of children who exhibit behavior disorders in school are from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts are from a fatherless home. 75% of adolescent patients and chemical dependency units are from a fatherless home. 70% uh, of juveniles in state-operated institutions are from a fatherless home. 85% of the men in prison are from a fatherless home. It's a big deal. And so when we, when we talk about God has entrusted men to redeem, to protect, and to sacrifice, that's not just some old Bible thing. That's not just an old-fashioned traditional value, right? 
That, that is a huge part of the fabric and the stability of our very culture. And when you remove dad, when you remove godly men from children's lives, from a family's life, everything breaks down generally. It's not the way that God intended. So God has entrusted you and I with this responsibility, okay? Now, women have... have other responsibilities and a lot of responsibilities overlap. It's not an elevation, it's just an organization that God has entrusted you and I to this responsibility and we are responsible in our lives. God has called us to redeem, to protect, and to sacrifice. Now, if when I took these ideas and I focus group them, because we established last weekend that I am not a woman, Right? So when I focus group this with godly women, which is what I did, talked to a bunch of uh, godly women in their uh, 20s and 30s, said, what are you looking for in a man? If I was summarizing what a godly woman is looking for in a godly man, she would, they, they would say something to the effect of, I'm looking for a, a fella who will, with maturity, redeem, protect, and sacrifice for me, Right? Now, the biblical concept of that is submission. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, look it up. Marriage is built on a mutual submission. Submission in marriage is not gender specific. It's not the girl's job. Because the word submission means to give the best of yourself to someone else. That's what it means to submit yourself. So a, right at the top of the marriage passage in Ephesians chapter 5, God prefaces everything he says about marriage, and he says, the, the, each of you, the husband and the wife, should submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So godly women are saying, I would follow a godly man if he was giving the best of himself to me and seeking to redeem, to protect, and sacrifice for me. And we established last weekend that godly men are, le are looking for submissive women, women who will give the best of themselves, not mousy women, submissive women, that they're looking to give the best of themselves to each other. And that's what love is, and that is the biblical definition of a New Testament marriage, right? So, Fellas, what are women looking for in, their, in men? They're looking for love, just like you and I are. In fact, grab your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's page 800, and the Bible's there in your chairs, or if you're at the box, and the Bible's there. And page 800, 1 Corinthians 13, this is God's definition of love. And he says this, verse four, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. Love does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And if it, guys, if you're looking and saying, I, what's a godly woman looking for? She's looking for love. The exact same thing that you are looking for, right? How does she receive love? Well, we receive love differently because men and women are different, right? And she will look and say, I receive love when it's brought to me with maturity in a redemptive, protective, sacrificial way. I don't want a little boy selfishly demanding love from me. 
but a godly man. That word godly is huge. You should underline the word godly. You should highlight it. You should put it in bold. You should put a circle around it. Maybe get a tattoo. I'm just saying it's an option. When a godly man, someone who wants to give the best of himself to me, loves me in a redemptive, protective, and sacrificial way, it, it helps me to give the best of myself to him. And godly women will allow godly men to lead them. They'll allow men to lead the way. If we're godly, if we're selfish, they'll fight it, and they should. But if we're godly, they'll, they'll follow. And now we have two people in a love relationship, which is what the New Testament definition of marriage is, that are committed for a lifetime to give themselves to each other, right? In a mature redemptive, protective, and sacrificial way, right? So girls are looking for the same thing that guys are looking for. And they're looking and saying, if a guy is mature, then I am willing to, to follow and let him lead me. So they're looking for men. Now, this is what I wanna do this weekend. Fellas, I wanna try to coach you up because this is, this is what has happened. Most of us, most men, have not been raised in homes or in environments where they have godly examples. If you look and say, I don't know my dad, or my dad didn't follow the Lord, and he never taught me the Bible, and, and my parents are divorced, and you are in the norm. It's the rare person who was raised in a home where their parents were married 50 or 60 years. So most of us have not been raised in homes where we have seen a godly example. So when we hear the Bible say things like, I'm responsible to redeem, to protect, and to, live, and to love sacrificially, we would look and say, I hear that, I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what that looks like. I don't, what, I don't really know what it means to become a godly man, and I wanna to talk to you about that for a minute here. It's fascinating how 1 Corinthians 13 is laid out. So you look at verse four, right? All the love stuff, love's patient, kind, all the things that God defines it. Uh, verse eight, love never fails. Then God moves to verse 11, and he says something fascinating. He says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. That word man in the original language, we translate our English Bibles out of the Greek language. That word man in the Greek language is a masculine word. It means male. It's not a gender neutral word. So when God is looking, he's looking specifically at men and he's saying, listen, there was a time that you were a child, but now you need to become a man and you need to put childish things behind you. We could say it like this. There was a time when you loved like a child. A child's love is not patient. A child's love is not always kind. A child is very self-centered. My baby, yep, your baby. If your baby's hungry, what's it doing? Screaming, right? Self-centered, I wanna go home now. I wanna nap now. You need to do this for me. A child's love is directed toward itself. When I was a child, that's how I loved. 
But I have become a man, and a man's love is redemptive. It's always patient. It's always kind. It is protective. It's never self-interest. It's never introducing evil, right? And it's sacrificial. It's trustworthy. It protects. It seeks my best interest. So how do you move from a child to a man And for those of us who did not grow up with godly men in our lives, we have no idea what this looks like. What does that mean? And I want to give you some tangible things that you can get your, kind of your hands around and understand so that we can start to build a picture of what it looks like to be a man as opposed to functioning like a child, okay? So I put this in your notes. These are on your app as well as in your program. Let's look at this. How do I do it? How do I put childish things behind me and become a godly man that a godly woman might be looking for. Remember, we're talking in the context of dating. How does that show up? When do I become a man? So here's the first one. Ready? I become a man, first of all, when I stop spending my time as a child. When I stop spending my time as a child. Okay, here you go, fellas. Ready? Those of us, that we, nobody's ever talked to you about this before. This is what this means. Ready? It, it's, a, it's real simple. You can lock this in. Children play men work. Did you get that? Children play, men work. And when I stop spending my time as a child, I start to become a man. Men don't live for the weekend. Men finish what they start. Men are reliable. Men seek to provide men are moving forward in their lives. Now you compare that to children. Children play video games to all hours of the morning. Children live in their parents' basement well into their 30s. Children borrow money and bum rides. Children lack direction. Children play sports in lieu of investing their time wisely. Children play, men work. Now, it's fascinating what God says about work. If you flip to the right in your Bibles, about 20, 30 pages, to the book of 2 Thessalonians, God actually addresses idleness, right? This is what he says, verse 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says this, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, so this is for everybody, not just fellows, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat any food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work should not eat. Isn't that fascinating? Of all the, all the global problems that, that are on the planet, all the issues with humanity, isn't it fascinating that God addresses work? We talked about this a few weeks ago, and we said, what, what's the kind of person I should be looking to date? We looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and one of the things that God says is that those of you who are lazy should be lazy no longer. 
You should work with your hands so that you can provide something for the poor. Isn't that weird that God would address something as, as minuscule as work? Why would he do that? Well, I would propose that part of that is because it's a character issue. Girls, if you're dating a guy and he won't work, if you're dating a guy and he's a mama's boy, if you're dating a guy and he's on his seventh year of his sophomore year of college, run away, right? Why? Because you're seeing his immaturities and if he's not working his way out of it, then he's not trying to become a man. How come? Because work is redemptive. When I work, I'm not wasting my time, I'm working. I'm working to provide for myself, to provide for perhaps my family, to provide to the kingdom of God and to provide for the poor, that's what the Bible says. I'm redeeming people with my work. Work is protective. See, A man who works is a protective guy. Uh, those of you who are married, uh, wives, if you are married to a mature man, this would be the mindset. If he got laid off or downsized, and that happens, that's just the way the marketplace works. If he got laid off or downsized, a wife might look at her husband and say something like this to her children. She might look and say, daddy got downsized or daddy got laid off, but your daddy will make a way. Your daddy will go dig ditches. Your daddy will serve McNuggets. Your daddy will do whatever he has to do because he will provide for us. What is it? It's protective. I, I find protection in my father, my husband's willingness to not be childlike, but to work. And then of course it's sacrificial. Real men don't just work for themselves. We work to provide, to give, right? So I start becoming a man when I stop spending my time as a child and as a teenager, as a, as a younger adult, this is a principle that needs to come into my life that I, my, my calling in life is not to extend my adolescence for as long as I can possibly get away with it. I need to start moving somewhere. I need to have a direction. I need to go forward in my life. Now, let me just coach you up here for a little bit. I am not talking, gentlemen, about watching a football game right? If you pause work to watch an Ohio State game, that's not a sin. In fact, that should probably be a part of your time with God, honestly. That honors the Lord because he's doing the same thing, really. All right, so, right, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about your bowling league. I'm not talking about going to the box and working out. That's not what I'm talking about. Hardworking people, it's actually good and healthy for us to have a break, perhaps a hobby or, or, or something to do in a, in a downtime. I'm not talking about that. The Bible is talking about lazy, unmotivated, directionless men. And ladies, listen, girls, if you're dating a guy and he's in his 20s still trying to find himself, he's going to be in his 40s doing the same thing. Now, if he's trying to nail down a career, it's a different conversation. If he's picking up a skill, if he's interning, if he's shadowing, if he's, if he's looking for what he's interested in, it's a completely different conversation because he's moving. But if he's not moving, and he's working part-time at Dairy Queen, and he's a champion on Halo, and that's his plan, that's going to get old real quick, okay? So we're not talking about relaxing. We're not talking about downtime. We're not talking about a, a night out on the golf course during golf league season. That's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about directionlessness. And boys are idle, they play. Men work and they're moving somewhere. Here's the second thing. I put the ways of childhood behind me and become a man when I start to view women through the lenses of dignity and honor. All right, this is what it means, fellas. Your dad should have taught you this. If he didn't, I'm trying to help you out. When I start to view women through the lenses of dignity and honor. Now, in this whole dating conversation, what we're doing is we're reverse engineering our dating from marriage. So let me show you what a marriage is supposed to look like. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, that passage was written in the first century. And when that passage was written, it was mind-boggling to men. So men, remember the church had just started, so people were just being introduced to Jesus Christ. Jesus brought equality to women, saying they should be honored like men. And Peter is helping the, the early church understand what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, listen, fellas, you need to live in your, with your wives in an understanding way. You need to show them honor as a weaker vessel and treat them as joint heirs with you to, to the grace of God. That was mind-boggling because these men lived in a culture where you owned women, Literally, you own them, you would barter with women, you would seal contracts with women, you would buy cattle with your daughters. So there was zero value of, with women, and all of a sudden, God comes in and says, listen, you need to live with your wives in an understanding way. My wife, yeah. My wife that I traded for two oxen and a geese, yeah. Understanding way, know her mind, know her heart, know why she thinks what she thinks and what she thinks, in an understanding way. Right? You treat her equally. You treat her with honor and dignity. You show her honor. You show her the same honor that you show Caesar, the same honor that you show a, a Roman soldier. You honor her. You elevate her so that you view her as an equal. And you do that even though she's the weaker vessel. That term weaker vessel only means physically weaker. So this is a, in the first century, it's a, it's a, it's a might makes right culture. If I can dominate you physically, I should do that. So when, Paul, when Peter writes this, he's like, yeah, you're probably stronger than your wife. You, pro, you have legal rights over her. She's not honored by, so just because you can get away with it, you don't get away with it. You're a Christ follower. You honor her, you understand her, and you treat her as a daughter of God. You have the same heavenly father. So when you're looking at her, you view her as a joint heir. It's your sister and a daughter of God. Now, fellas, this principle lays into us the same way that it would weave into the life of a first century man. Because gentlemen, here's the facts. You and I have been raised in a might makes right culture. We have been taught, if you're my age, or I'm 44, if you're my age or younger, we have been taught our whole lives that women are commodities. And women are things that you use, and you use them, and then you put them away until you want the one again, and then you get another one. We have been raised on pornography. And if you're a man my age or younger, you've been raised on pornography. The average boy sees his first pornographic image by the time he's uh, the age of nine. 
So I've seen it, you've seen it, we've all been raised on it. My father, if he wanted to see pornography, he had to look hard and long for it. I never did, neither did you. And the younger you are, the more true it is of you. Pornography is a might makes right mindset. Because I can use a woman, I do. And when I wanna use a woman, I use her the way that I wanna use her, and then when I'm done with her, I just put her away and I'm done with it. So we've been taught that women exist to entertain us. That women are strippers, and when I, when I wanna have a meeting, when I wanna hang out, when I'm just bored, I just go and I'm entertained by some woman. Uh, women are, are the, the sex objects of the movies. And so that, that's their role. They're not the hero. They're not the star, they're, they're the sex toy in the movies. Uh, women, women are in, uh, they, they're meant to entice me. We use them, right? Because sex sells. So I, whether I'm buying a toothbrush or a new car, a woman is used, to, she's just a thing. We use her to make that product. And we've been raised in that mindset that women are, are things that you use. Women are meant to stimulate us. That's their role. That's what pornography is. The only, the only point of pornography is to turn you on. There's no other point to it. And so when we're raised in that mindset that whenever I wanna be turned on, I just go get a woman, some random woman. I don't know her name. I don't know anything about her. I, I don't have to understand her or honor her. I just point and click. And I get turned on, I get sexually stimulated whenever I feel like it, right? We've been raised to think like that. We've been, the, the oppression of women has been glorified. In, in music, for instance, this is, this is the hip hop culture. That, that a woman is, is, she's the B word, she's a hoe, she's, and then we sing about our sexual conquest of women. I become a man when I start to view women with dignity, honor and respect a way that I would view my mother, my sister, or my daughter, see? And the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ has actually not historically oppressed women. The church of Jesus Christ historically has elevated women because we looked and said, wait a minute, no human being owns another human being no human being talks down to another human being. Every human being is an object of God's love, affection, and redemption. And every human being is potentially a joint heir with me, with Jesus Christ. So gentlemen, when you look at the women of this church, they are your sisters, your daughters, your mothers. They are your equals in value. We have different roles in the body, that's fine, that's no big deal. We play different positions on the baseball field. But the second baseman is just as important as shortstop. Different roles, same value. And gentlemen, when you look at women outside of the church, that stripper, the, the, the one who's performing pornography, God looks at her with value. Christ laid his life down for her. Christ gives her dignity. Christ expects the men of God to look at her as a daughter, a mother, a sister, 
because she could be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. God's desire is for her to know him, for her to love him, and for her to be woven into the fabric of the church. She's not there for you to get off on. And men will view women in those ways, and they will give them the dignity and the honor and respect. Men don't pay for strippers. Men, real men, walk the streets with godly women as those godly women are seeking to reach out and redeem the strippers. And they'll walk to protect those women. Men don't entertain themselves with degrading music. Men walk over and say that the song needs to be changed. Different playlists because there's women in the room. See? Now, gentlemen, how does this show up? And like I said, your daddy should have told you, and I, I'm, I'm sorry that he didn't. That's his fault. But I'm telling you, and this is what God would say, this needs to show up in our real life. Gentlemen, if you have songs on your playlist that have the B word in them or call a woman a hoe or talk about sexual conquest, that needs to be thrown out of your life. How, how in the world would that ever bring honor to Christ or honor to a woman? If your queue is full of, mo of movies that are, f that are nothing but sexuality, I don't care if Deadpool is the newest superhero. The conversations, the movie, the, that has no place in the mind or the heart or the life of a godly man. If the private settings on your iPhone are full of your favorite pornographic images or websites, it needs to be thrown away. It's childish, right? And there's no place for that for godly men in our interaction with godly women. Now, let me rabbit trail here for a minute. I'll get in trouble for it, but that's okay. I ignore my emails anyways. Ready? Here we go. Ladies, I want you to dial in for a second because I'm telling the men what the deal is, and many of you are nodding your head. Tell them, Jeff. You get them, right? Now, these men, this is what will happen. These men are going to look back at me, and they're going to say, Jeff, all right, we hear you. And they're going to look back at me, and they're going to say, it's not all our fault. And ladies, they're right. Women of God, listen to me. You need to start being offended again. Somewhere, you have lost your offense of this behavior you are not living with dignity and you are not insisting on being honored. And you are allowing yourself to be called these degrading names and to be looked at in a degrading way. And you need to be offended. Ladies, young women especially, listen, I'll just be blunt with you. If you dance like a stripper, you're gonna be interacted with like a stripper. You have to put your foot down. If, if the song comes on and it's full of the B word and hoes and sexual conquest and you're singing along, you've just endorsed that song. You need to put your foot down and you need to insist that you're treated with dignity and respect. And then your brothers in Christ need to set the pace and go before you. Ladies, let me tell you a little secret, right? And I'm not joking around here. Here's a little secret. Men are petrified of you. And I'm not playing. They are. 
And if you would put your foot down, you would see change happening. When, when that music is on at the gym and it's degrading and it's full of the F-bomb and the B-word and you're a hoe and, and all that hip-hop stuff, if you walk over to the manager of that gym and say, I am offended and I will not be talked to this way and I pay to be a member of this place, that playlist will change. They'll put the fish on and that's all you'll ever hear. <laughs> right? When you're in a workplace and everything is an F-bomb this and a la-la this and, and it's degrading and it's belittling, you walk up to your manager and say, this is an unsafe work environment and I feel a sexual oppression here. And I'm not talking about being selfish and I'm not talking about being petty. I'm talking about when that's the environment. You put your foot down, they will change policies left and right. You have some power that you need to be enforcing, but that you need to insist on being treated in a dignified way. Because when you walk down the beach in the string bikini, you've just endorsed every man looking and interacting with you in a certain way. And when the fellas look back at me and say, Jeff, it's not all us, that's fair. That's fair. So the women of God need to insist that they're treated with dignity. And listen, gentlemen, the men of God need to be outraged that our mothers, our daughters, and our sisters have become sex objects instead of intelligent, dignified, and honored people. And those habits and behaviors need to be pushed out of our lives. Boys think about women that way. Men don't. And we treat all women as daughters of the Most High God. All right, here's the next one. I become a man when I start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this is what this means. Where do I find righteousness from? I find righteousness from the book, from the Bible. So the authoritative, the inerrant, and complete word of God, right? So this is what a man does. A man's going to read the Bible, and instead of figuring out what he can get away with, he's going to work hard to import the Scripture into his life. So he's going to read all the pieces of Scripture, and he's going to say, I want, to be that, I want that to be a part of my life. I want that to be a part of my life. And he's going to build his character from the teachings of God's Word. Now, let me just coach you up a little bit. Let me, let me show you how this works because some of us, we, we, we're very, some of you maybe accepted Christ like a month ago. You know, like I just kind of like barely read the Bible. That's, that's totally cool. So let me just show you how importing God's word shows up and like our decisions and how we function a little bit, okay? So here it is, guys. Here's the difference between a boy and a man. Okay, here it is. Boys see what they can get away with. Men seek accountability, so when the Bible says it, they're going to look at their buddies and say, hey, can you push me and help me do what the Bible says? They're not going to push off that responsibility. They're going to run to it, right? Boys ogle women. Men turn their eyes from evil things. They're looking down at the sex scene. They're not going into that movie. They're not ogling at the cows girls. Right? They're, they're turning their eyes away because they don't want to even think of a woman in a context outside of how Christ would think of her. Boys shade the truth. Men are forthright and full of integrity. Boys use their strength for themselves. They'll build their ego. 
men give their strength to those around them. They redeem and they protect. Boys seek to control people, especially their girls. Men seek to earn respect and trust. Ladies, listen to me. If you got to report in to your boyfriend, get a new one. Men seek to earn, we'll earn what we're asking for. We'll earn the trust, we'll earn the respect. Boys throw fits of rage. They're easily angered. Men seek to be self-controlled. Boys blame other people for their problems. Men own their failures. Boys find a way to get by. It's gonna patch it together. Men pursue callings. They're going somewhere in their lives. Boys love selfishly. It's all, I want, I demand that you love me this way. Men love sacrificially. I want to love you this way. Boys comply with social norms. Men lead the way. Right, so that's how that shows up. A, a man is always striving to honor Christ. He wants to know what the book says, and he wants to weave it into his life, and he'll even build a team to help him do it. Boys are just, what, what parts of the Bible do I have to do to not get hit by a lightning bolt? Right? So ladies, when you're dating, you're looking for a guy. Don't look for a guy that you can, I'm going to help him grow in the Lord. If he's not growing on his own, run away. If he's not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if he doesn't want to know Christ's mind, then he's not ready to love you and lead you. He's not going to be what you're looking for, okay? Men will strive for this. Now, here's the thing. We will not do it perfectly. We will do it consistently. Uh, gentlemen, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and this is what I found. The wives that are at the end of their rope are married to spiritually passive men. They just don't know what to do. They, it drives them crazy. A wife that is married to a man who's trying or a man who's learning on the job, which is all of us, is incredibly patient and kind and helpful and reinforcing of that. The wife that's married to a guy that's going nowhere, she's disillusioned and frustrated and, and doesn't, have, doesn't know what to do with him, right? Gentlemen, hunger and thirst for, move spiritually. And when you're trying and you're doing that with maturity, redemptively, protectively, sacrificially, godly women will follow godly men, right? Girls, single ladies, if he is not moving spiritually, if you're dragging him to church, if you're always trying to get him to, if he's not doing it on his own, he's not going to do it for you, right? Last thing. I be, put childhood behind me. I become a man when I start to seek Christ first. So Jesus is the key to this whole deal. This is what he says. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So this is the way this looks, fellas. This is what Jesus is talking about when it, when it comes to us becoming who we need to become. 
a godly man is always going to put the thoughts and the truths of Christ as the prime directive in his life. So a godly man is going to look and say, well, Christ says this, that's going to be what I build my behavior off of. A godly man puts Christ above his buddies. Come on, man, let's just go. He'll stand alone. A godly man will put Christ above his girl. You're getting carried away. We just don't have to. He'll stand alone because he's seeking Christ first. And he knows when I seek Christ first, all these things are added unto me. Everything else falls in line when I'm prioritizing Christ. That also plays out in the way that we use our strength, right? So a godly man will use his strength for godliness. Now, one of the ways, one of the biggest ways that masculine strength comes out is stubbornness. I don't know if any of you are stubborn. I've been told once that I was, right? So some of us are stubborn. And I have used my stubbornness in different ways in my marriage. I've been stubborn about what the house looks like. I've been stubborn about where the furniture is. I've been stubborn about whether the kitchen's clean or not. I've been stubborn about whether the yard should be mowed. I've been stubborn about what kind of car we do. I've been stubborn for all kinds of dumb ways. And when I use my strength for that kind of stuff, my strength is not redemptive, it's destructive. It's not protective, it, it, it causes insecurity. And it's not sacrificial, it's selfish. And I have the strength to do it. Heidi can't make me do anything I don't wanna do, right? I'm wired that way. A godly man is seeking Christ first. So I take my strength, for instance, and I use it for righteousness. I'm also stubborn about speaking the truth. I don't lie. You've never told a lie, Jeff? I didn't say I didn't, I didn't say that. I'm saying in life, I'm pretty stubborn about not lying. I'll tell you the truth. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so fun, right? If you ask me, you know, how does this look? I'll tell you how you look. What do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I don't lie. Well, when I'm stubborn about being honest, it's redemptive, it's protective. Heidi doesn't wonder where I am and what I'm doing. She doesn't wonder if I have this side conversation going on, because she trusts my honesty, I'm stubborn about it, see? I'm stubborn about how and what comes into my home. I'm stubborn about having a Christian home. Well, that's redemptive, it's protective, right? You need to take your strength, gentlemen. Our, strength, our culture tells us to use our strength for ourselves. Christ says, no, 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 you give your strength. It's Christ first, Christ gave. He could have zapped the world and started over. He used his strength to lay his life down. So his men, this is what a man does, a boy uses his strength for himself. A man uses his strength to redeem, to protect, and give love in a sacrificial way. See? And when I have talked with godly women, they're in on that. 
They're not in on being patronized and belittled. That's nonsense, right? They're not in on being controlled. That's nonsense. Young women, if you're dating a guy like that, run away. But they're in on love being brought to them in maturity that is redemptive and sacrificial and protective. They're in on a guy who wants to submit to his wife, give the best of himself to her. And then he, you start doing that, you'll start running with a league of women who are that high level too. And they're in on submitting to their husbands, giving the best of themselves to him. And you got two people who are committed to giving themselves to each other. And you start to get what the scriptures describe as marriage, right? And it's something wonderful and great, but you got to put it on the right foundation. All right, now let me end with this. There's two things, fellas, as I was working this out, I think there's two things specifically that I I wanted to catch for you, and it's this. Here's one thing, and, and ladies, this probably won't make sense to you, but it'll make sense to us guys. Okay, so here's one thing. Fellas, if you're going to meet a godly woman, if you want to date a godly woman, marry a godly woman, it goes to distance with you, okay? You have to dump the mindset that when I meet the right girl, she'll straighten me out. And I know, ladies, it sounds weird, but we know what we mean, fellas. So if you cannot lead the way, then you cannot take her anywhere. So you've got to dump that mindset that, well, I just, I'll grow up when I meet the right girl. How about you grow up to meet the right girl, okay? So her job isn't to fix you, right? And, and, and your job is to fix you and to invite Christ into that process. So you gotta dump that mindset. Now here's the second thing that hit me. I am so very sensitive to the fact that most of us did not grow up with any kind of godly example around us. And so gentlemen, I am I'm incredibly uh, sympathetic that when I lay this out, you're like, I got it. I have no idea how to do it. So this is what I want you to do. There, there's something that guys do in all parts of our lives that we need to apply to being a godly man, husband, father, the whole nine yards, okay? When you were growing up and you wanted to be a basketball star, what did you do? You found a hero, didn't you? So for us old guys, it was Jordan. For you young guys, it's Kyrie, it's Allen Iverson, it's LeBron, right? We, we would look and we would mimic their game, okay? Uh, when you were growing up and you wanted to play guitar, what'd you do? You started to mimic, you, you got into Hendrix, and you're like, I'm gonna play behind my back, and it never really worked because you're not Jimi Hendrix, but, right? But you were like, this is what I'm gonna do. You would find a hero and you would mimic what he did. Later on in life, we do this in business. It's, it's Steve Jobs, or it's Bill Gates, or it's whoever you're into, whatever entrepreneur you're into. We'll, we'll read those books, and we'll go to those seminars, and we'll pick it up. And gentlemen, we tend to learn like this. When we don't know what to do, we find somebody that we perceive is doing it right, and we start to do what they do. And then as you grow and learn, what happens is you wind up weaving those principles into your life, and they just become a part of who you are. Guys, listen, I'm sorry, truly sorry that your daddy did not teach you what he should have taught you. 
and I know he's gone, and I know he's still a child, and I know all those things that are so frustrating. But you're a man, and we own our failures, and we own our weaknesses. So the responsibility is still ours, and if there's ever a day that your family and your friends and our society needs men, it's right now. So when you don't know what to do, what you need to do is find a hero. Find a guy that you look at and you're like, that guy, his wife seems like she loves him. That guy, he raised his kids and like they still go to church and they like respect their dad. You might even be friends with his children, that's how you know the guy. And you need to go to that guy. We do this all the time. We, we go and we go to the seminars, we go to the training, we go to sports camps. We grew up doing this. You need to go to the guy and have him tell you what he did. When, when, you, when you accepted Christ and you started reading the Bible, what'd you do? When you had kids and you're supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home and have devotion, what are devotions? How do you have them? Right? You guys have been married for 50 years. How did you stay married for 50 years? How did you like do it? And you f find a hero and start asking that guy, what did you do? Show me how, talk me through it, right? Now, here's the deal. If you do that within the church, nine times out of 10, when you ask that guy to coach you up, he'll take the time and do it. Because the Bible actually teaches us in the book of Titus that godly men, older men, are supposed to teach younger men. By the way, ladies, same thing with you. Older women are supposed to teach younger women. So an older guy is going to take that and be your friend and be your brother, and he's also going to think of that as a spiritual responsibility. He's going to take the time, and he'll coach you up. It's not the end of the world that you don't know what to do. There's nothing immature about knowing, not, not knowing what to do. What's immature is when you don't go find out. And we do that in all kinds of, you know, we got the flat head on our wall because we want to learn to play ball like that. And that's what we need to download into our spiritual lives as well, okay? So find a hero, right? Start mimicking, and you'll pick it up as you go. Start mimicking. Young women, listen. You find a young guy, and he has no desire for spiritual things, and, and, and you're pulling him along, and he's only pursuing Christ because you pursue Christ, he will never redeem, protect, and sacrifice for you the way you dream of him doing that. You find a young guy, and he just doesn't know what he's doing yet, but he wants to talk to your dad, and he wants to interact with pastor so-and-so, and, he's, and he's, you, you watch him learn something and start doing it, that guy's a keeper because he'll do that his whole life. He'll learn. He'll desire. He'll find a way, see? And that guy's a guy that will always work ready to submit to you. He'll always be working to give the best of him. He, may, he probably don't know what he's doing. None of us know what we're doing. But he'll work at giving the best of himself to you because he wants to love you. And gentlemen, you start living like that and you'll get in a class of women and they want to love you, right? And if you're both pursuing Christ, way before a dating relationship, 
You want Jesus more than you want to get married. You bump into each other. Now you got something. You got something. Put that foundation in, and that'll last a long, long time, okay? All right. Let me ask you two questions, and then the band will come. Here it is. Ready? First one. Gentlemen, are you pursuing manhood? Fellas, bottom line, there's a time you just got to decide to grow up. And I encourage you, you're a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, it's time to decide to grow up. That's when it starts, okay? If you're past that and you look and say, I've been, I guess I've been being a child, well, let's, let's flip the switch here. It's a decision, okay? Nobody nails it perfectly, but all of us can decide we're going to live differently. Are you pursuing manhood? It's what God calls you to. Second thing, ready? Are you pursuing Christ, right? It's Jesus above all else, right? Ladies, you want a guy that looks at you and says, I'm not sure our relationship is where it needs to be. Can we change it? You want that. Gentlemen, you want to lead the way. It's not her job to straighten you out. Why is that her burden? Lead the way. And Christ is the catalyst of all of this. The Bible says he changes our mind. He renews our mind. He changes our heart. He changes our motivation. And it's only as we understand what it means to be loved by Christ that we really learn how to love each other. So Christ Jesus, he's the focal point of it all. Okay. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, uh, the band will come out, and then we'll spend a little time thinking about this together, okay? Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Help us, God, to, to download this. It's big stuff. For most of us men, Lord, it's unfamiliar stuff. Nobody's ever told us before. So I pray, Lord, that you and through your Holy Spirit make all this make sense. Your word makes sense and that we can start locking into these things to honor you above all else and then ultimately to become who you've entrusted us to become. So God, in these still moments where we sing, help us just to think and be still and interact with you and yield to you in these things, Jesus. In your name, amen.